Hey there, welcome to the Pelvis Project Podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Roxy. We're two pelvic health experts brought together by passion for our careers, entrepreneurship, motherhood, and the desire for intentional relationships. Join us in our mission to spread pelvic floor awareness and start conversations surrounding the truth behind genuine health, imperfect wellness, and joyfully navigating life. We are so glad you are here with us. Let's start the conversation. Hello, Roxy. How are you? <laughs> that was like that was like really chipper this morning. <laughs> oh boy! Well, we are really excited uh, for this episode today. We are going to be talking to our um, close friend Paige Genova. She is a pelvic floor occupational therapist, and we hope that you guys um, enjoy. The conversation that we're starting with her, learn a little bit more about occupational therapy and what she does. And we are excited to have our first official guest on the podcast. Well, here we are. Welcome, everybody. We are so excited. We have Paige Genova with us right now. Yay. How are you, Paige? Hi, I'm so good. I I've missed you guys. So this is a treat just getting to talk with you. Yes. And for everybody that's not like we are on Zoom, so we're seeing each other right now. And it's just so fun. Yes. So we, we, hug. yes, we uh, met Paige through our business mentoring group. And then we got to be together in person last April in California. And it was just so fun to just get to like, you're a real person. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're 3D. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, it's always a game changer. Um, And it's weird how you can just be like already super close with people that you've yes. never even like really met. Um, So it just was like, nice. It, it's all, it feels like you always got friends at your fingertips. That's right. That's right. Well, before we really get started though, you were sharing about your wild morning this morning as kind of oh. a mama and we're all mamas here. We're business owners. We're clinicians. We're all the things. Before we really start, just give us a little bit of like who you are, who's your family, what are what hats do you wear, and then we'll jump in from there. Sure. So I own a um, out of network cash base public floor clinic in Youngstown, Ohio, and that's basically like halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And I am a mom to two little tots, um, fresh kindergartner and fresh preschooler. I am a wife to a lineman, which is a pretty complicated career yeah. <laughs> as far as um, his schedule and all that stuff. So that things makes things always a little bit spicy for me um, <laughs> and as far as predictability and schedule when you're running your own business, but you also are a mom. I am basically at this point, like I work every day, um, obviously, because it's my business, but I am like part-time in the clinic and part-time at home with my family. Um, so sometimes I think that that's easier. Sometimes I think that's harder mm -hmm. than if I was just in the clinic every single day. It's hard to kind of like flip-flop around, but we make it work. We make it work. I have a PT who works for me um, full-time. I am hoping that I am going to be bringing on a pediatric OT to do pelvic health at my oh. clinic. Um, that's sort of in the work. 
And then I am also a pelvic floor therapist. I'm an occupational therapist. Yay. So that's kind of me and like the different hats I wear right now. And yeah, so I, you know, I think now we're going to be talking a little bit about being a pelvic floor OT because that is the minority still um, and a little bit different. And I feel like my introduction into pelvic health was definitely not traditional or kind of like standard. So um, that's always an interesting story how I even got into it. Well, let's let's just keep going then. Um, why don't you why don't you share a little bit more about what OT looks like um, from an insider, right? And from the real person, the real OT. And mm-hmm. and um, if you want to interject a little bit of that, even just that journey, because you didn't start out as a pelvic floor OT. And so introduce OT, introduce that and kind of the path that, because I think your path shines some light on the the breadth of the career of an OT anyway. And then let's, and then land in pelvic health world. Sure. So it all started in undergrad. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was, I have a psychology degree and I absolutely love, love, love psychology. I was actually psychology and gerontology. I just really liked old people. Um, so I wanted to study kind of like how people age. And um, I then found occupational therapy actually through my brother who went to John Carroll with me. I went to John Carroll, which is in Cleveland. Um, he was there with me and he had like a string of, he was an athlete and he had a string of like muscle tears, like completely off insertion, like back to back. It was wild. And so I was there with him and, you know, we had like an immobilized arm for a long time. And I was like, how in the heck do I help him get dressed with this like arm immobilized? Like, how can I help him? Like, he's a, looks like he's a hot mess. Like, how do I help him? Like, do his hair or, you know, get his book bag on and carry a book bag. And how is he going to write with his left hand? And naturally Googling those things, it brought me upon occupational therapy. And as I was reading about it, it was this perfect combination of psychology and the medical field and helping people and the body. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is what I'm going to do. And so then I switched kind of like my mindset into then grad school so I could be an occupational therapist. But um, my kind of foundation is psychology, which then perfectly kind of placed me in a position for occupational therapy because that is so much of what we do um, and what is incorporated in our undergrad, which I'll kind of like touch on when we talk about like what OT is. I think that's sort of like one of the defining factors for occupational therapy is sort of that we just get a lot of that mind-body approach in schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after I was graduated, I had a clinical at the Cleveland Clinic in their cardiac ICU, which as you can imagine, um, was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. Yeah. Um, we were seeing you know, people from all over the world and kind of the most extreme cases. And we we're doing really progressive stuff in the ICU. And I fell in love with that intensity and the challenge of that population. And that's where I started off. I then got a job at our level one trauma hospital here in Youngstown. I moved back home and I started off on this like six, I was six months into being an OT and new at this hospital and they were not doing like anything in the ICU with these patients. And I came from the cardiac ICU at like the number one cardiac hospital in the world. And I was like, what the hell is going on here, guys? Like, this is terrible. Like we're not doing anything. So six months into being an OT, I was like, hi, my name is Paige, and I am going to change the culture of the ICUs at this hospital. 
um, ready go. And so that's what I did for like four years was um, I partnered up with a physical therapist who had kind of shared my beliefs and we helped to co-create an early mobility program in our ICU. And while we did that, I still kind of held true to my psychology roots and I sort of headed the ICU delirium portion of that. And that was, I really loved it. Um, We ended up being able to start the program. It took many moons and lots of struggles and lots of fighting and all the things, but we were able to start it. And I loved that for a while. And I was deep into it. I mean, critical care, ICU, ICU delirium, that's all I knew. Literally all I knew because I was fresh. That's what my clinicals were. That's what I started out in. So as you can imagine, I really didn't have any orthopedic experience as though the the same thing with the physical therapist who worked with me like he i mean we weren't worried about people's muscle strength and their range of motion and stuff like that like what muscle is this and that it was like are you going to survive if we sit you up on the edge of the bed are you going to like are your stats going to drop like where is your chest tube you know we were kind of like a respiratory therapist we were physical and occupational therapists we were also nurses like we had a, it was just not like this orthopedic kind of like mm-hmm. setting so I then met a pelvic floor physical therapist. She came to Youngstown. She was at the Cleveland Clinic. And I think, you know, some people's journey into pelvic health was like, I knew about it. I had known somebody, but I was like, oh my God, that does not me. And then they kind of fall on it upon back into it, like later in life, whether it was after kids or a different opportunity. And that was like, not it for me at all. Like as soon as she started talking, I was like, Tell me more now. I'm so (laughs) interested in what you're talking about. I just was like instantly captivated. I just knew that I wanted to pursue it. And, you know, thankfully, she was like this amazing, amazing pelvic floor therapist, kind of on the new age of the pelvic floor realm where she wasn't like doing Kegels all the time and wasn't just hooking people up to biofeedback machines. And I like owe her so much because I, was like, I want to do pelvic health. Like, I want you to train me. And she ended up leaving and going back to the Cleveland Clinic. And I took over her spot, but I was able to kind of be under her for a while. And at the time, you know, this was like five, six years ago, we had to Google if OTs could do pelvic floor mm-hmm. therapy at that time. I mean, it was not widely known that it was like OTs can do this. Yeah. So, you know, she w- could have 100% just been like, you have no orthopedic experience. I don't even know if OTs can do this. Like, listen, no, you know, this is for physical therapists. Like you have no even outpatient experience. Like there's no way (laughs) like that I can, that you can do this. But instead she was like, you have the right personality. You have the right drive. You can learn it. I can help you. Like OTs can do this Mm -hmm. and OTs should do this. She was like, this is perfect for you. She's like, you have all this psychology. She was like, you have all of this like ADL and you're literally like toileting experts. And <laughs> like, you're the people who talk about sex with the patients, in, you know, in that setting. So yeah, she just was so encouraging and so amazing. And, you know, looking back, why I think she was such a great uh, pelvic floor therapist with just this awesome perspective was because she was what I call a pot. She had like, perfect combinations of like a physical and an occupational therapy brain. And that I think is what makes, what made her so 
great and still mm-hmm. makes her so great. We still talk all the time. We still take courses together and stuff like that. But um, yeah. And so then the rest was kind of history. I needed her confidence in me and my interest in it, my passion for it right off the get-go. It didn't matter that I didn't have all of those other like quote unquote foundations because I can learn. And if it's something that you're passionate about, you you learn it, you absorb it, you apply it. And so even the orthopedic stuff in the beginning, while I was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> it was, you know, a little bit overwhelming at first. It's like if you want to learn it and you can apply what you learn into a patient who's in front of you, then like it's, you know, it's not that big of an obstacle. So and then I just kept going. I just kept going from the hospital and then to an outpatient facility where I started their public floor program to then having my own practice. And here we are today. That's awesome. I love that. I, did, I didn't know that whole background story. So I was like captivated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit different, you know, and it's funny when they introduced her to me, they were like, she sticks her peak fingers and people's vaginas. And I was like, what? (laughs) You know, it just was funny, their perspective. It was so crazy that she would even want to be a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I just had such a different perspective. I just couldn't believe that she was doing something that cool. And I had my own pelvic floor problems. I didn't even know were problems until I met her. Um, So it just was, it was a really good, like, it's been an awesome journey. And I think that my journey has really brought me into having a very unique perspective into pelvic health because I didn't come into it just like using like my orthopedic knowledge as like my, not a crutch, but like that being all my go-to. I had to really look outside the box right from the beginning, which I think is super helpful with this population. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to piece out something that you said earlier and have and ask you a little bit more about that. I love that POTS analysis or that POTS statement and that. Yeah. <laughs> can you jump into that a little bit and just piece that out of saying, okay, so we ha- we're PTs, OTs, we're working side by side. We're working on the same patient population. We come from very different backgrounds. Um, and so kind of jump into that and what your observation is on that, um, just coming from the OT side. As you know, like you said, we are heavy on ortho as PTs. And so mm-hmm. that is kind of our go-to. And you came in with a very different go-to. Um, but yeah. but how how do those two blend and what's been what's kind of been your observation on that? Yeah. So I think overall, if I was going to say like what is the difference between having a pelvic floor occupational therapist versus a pelvic floor physical therapist, I forget who even said this or where I even heard it from, but it, it's perfect for this scenario is that it could mean everything mm-hmm. in your treatment. It could be the biggest, most important factor in your treatment, or it can be nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, it could be really not much of a difference at all. I think if we were to back up in schooling, we do have very different approaches. You know, when you are looking at a patient in physical therapy, you were taught kind of the assessment of the musculoskeletal system and treating that musculoskeletal system with exercises, interventions, you know, more of from an exercise, like in physiology standpoint. And we had to learn, you know, exercises and anatomy and the musculoskeletal system and all of that. But it was a portion of how we were looking at the patient And basically for occupational therapy, our foundation is if you are, if somebody's unable to do a task that they want to be able to do, 
in the pelvic health realm, it's, you know, being able to have bowel movements or being able to jump without leaking or being able to intercourse in a good relationship without pain. Um, whatever that task is, we zoom out and are taught to figure out what is all contributing, uh, not, not just in the musculoskeletal system. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a mental health component that's contributing. Maybe it is a cognition, something that is contributing. Maybe it is an environmental aspect. Maybe it is a task breakdown and a modification that they need. Maybe it's an adaptive equipment that they have to have. So the foundation of everything we we were taught was to zoom out and look at that whole person. And it might be a intervention that we have to do from a psychological perspective to treat their mental health, because that is the driving factor that is preventing them from being able to cook their food. You know, so it, I think, perfectly set us up for that aspect of pelvic health and brings a really unique kind of perspective for OTs because we already have that like whole body approach ingrained into us. And that is so incredibly important for pelvic health, as we all know. In the pelvic health space or in other settings, let's say, I think in other settings, it's very easy for OTs to then stay in that lane. And PTs to stay in their lane, you know, looking at the musculoskeletal system, strengthening, like exercises, intervening that way. And it's encouraged and necessary, you know, for insurance purposes, for us to stay in our own lanes. And it is very clear what our differences are. However, in pelvic health, you're not going to see a pelvic floor OT in the morning and then a pelvic floor PT in the afternoon. That just isn't going to happen. It is much more difficult for I think both of your our professions to just stay in their lane if mm-hmm. we are going to be pelvic floor therapists. I think that if you are a PT or an OT who just treats from a musculoskeletal standpoint, you're going to drown with certain patients that come in for pelvic health problems. And vice versa, if you are just treating without any ability to look at the musculoskeletal system and apply exercises, and you're staying in that lane all of the time, you're going to drown with, or if you are not looking at any of that stuff and you are just looking at, you know, their environment and the modifications and their nervous system, you'll drown with certain patients. And so if you are going to be this well-rounded pelvic floor therapist who is able to treat whoever walks in your door, you can't just apply occupational therapy and you can't just apply physical therapy. You have to put on a PT hat sometimes if you're an OT And you have Mm -hmm. to put on an OT hat if you're a PT in order to really effectively and holistically treat these pelvic floor patients because it is not an ankle sprain. It is not a rotator cuff injury. So OTs can't just, you know, treat pelvic health from an OT perspective like they would a rotator cuff. They're going to have to put on a PT hat at some point and be able to assess their foot and their hip and their spine and apply exercises to it. And the same goes for physical therapists. You know, they have to be able to put that OT hat on and look at what their everyday tasks are, look at their mental health, look at their, you know, family support and if they need modifications or adaptive equipment or whatever. So I think that if we take all of that and you apply it to pelvic health, you can get PTs who treat like an OT and you can get OTs who treat like a PT in this space. And that's okay because we're, yeah. we're all working towards the same goal and they're n- you're not going to see then another a physical therapist later on. Like if they got stuff going on with that musculoskeletal system, you better be able to apply it. 
So I just think that we have to be pots in this realm. And while there is definitely differences in our profession, I think that the people who are just doing a really, really great job in public health have had to adapt Mm -hmm. to be more of a pot. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I think that we can own our strengths as occupational therapists um, and the lens that we look through that really brings a uniqueness to us and a strength for certain patient populations. And that's not anything against physical therapists and vice versa. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Um, And I, I think that it's not how OTs are better or like inferior or anything like that. No, I, I love that page. I think you explained that so beautifully and like nailed it. And as you were talking, I was just thinking about, because I've worked in different settings before I got into public health as well and started in a skilled rehab and worked closely with OTs and we'd co-treat. And you're right, in the pelvic health space, there's such a beautiful blend where in other settings, there is more of a little bit more like you have to stay in your lane. I mean, in my first job, the majority of what I learned was actually from my from the occupational therapist that I worked with because we would co-treat. And so you're not co-treating with another PT, you're co-treating with another discipline. So rather it be occupational therapy or speech therapy. And but at the end of the day, we were directed of like, oh, don't don't go do dressing with that page. Don't get them out of bed because that's occupational therapies, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And then an outpatient. Then you get into that and it was like, okay, well, uh, if you have a patient come in when I was doing outpatient, then attached to that rehab facility, it was like, well, if you have a patient come in with a shoulder or a wrist or a hand, that's, that's occupational therapy. PT doesn't see that, you know, and that's what is so beautiful about the public health space is we work. It's just such a cool blend because it really is occupational therapy is so dynamic. It's just a really kind of cool approach. So yeah, I think I, I just really liked how you, you shared that. Cause I think that gives a lot of clarity to people. Um, I remember when I worked in rehab, I'd say to the patient, okay, your occupational therapist is going to come and see you later. And they'd be like, oh, I don't work anymore. I don't have a job. Oh, and I'd be yeah. like, buddy, no, 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 no. And then, or I'd say like speech yeah. therapy, speech therapy is going to be in. And they're like, and they'd say, I don't have any trouble talking. <laughs> I know. And I mean, you know, to everyone's, you know, defense, it's so hard to like understand what the differences yes. are. And I mean, I yes. still, my patients still will say, you know, like I was telling my mom that I was going to physical therapy and, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm not a physical therapist, but it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Sure. And in the beginning, it was really difficult for me to be an OT in this space because the verbiage has changed a lot. I think a lot of yeah, people are like, okay, there are a lot of OTs doing yeah. this and doing it well. So like, we can't call this, like, we can't call the act of treating pelvic floor or doing pelvic floor therapy, pelvic PT or pelvic floor yeah. PT. Yeah. And it definitely wasn't like that though, five or six years ago. And it was hard for me. It was really hard for me. And I, I, I get why people, you know, that was that, and it still is maybe, but not near as much Yeah, because yeah. Um, it was really difficult to be in a profession you really loved and were passionate about and really good at. And constantly people saying that you are a public PT or going mm-hmm. to courses 
I'd mm-hmm. go to courses back in the day and the verbiage on the screen would just be talking about physical therapists. <laughs> and then they'd be calling what we were doing, like pelvic PT. And I'm like, Lou, I'm here. <laughs> I'm an occupational like, therapist. Go, yeah. Or I'd go yeah. to courses and I'd be like, I'm an occupational therapist and everyone would gasp. And yeah. I would literally have PTs like, give me a weird look and be like, I didn't think OTs could do this. And it's like, well, I have been and yeah. I, I can <laughs> and I do know? and I'm good so, at it. <laughs> yeah. Like it, so that was hard. Yeah. And I kind of just think it's, it's your perspective on it. Sure. That could either eat at you and really bother you and get, make you feel insecure in those settings or inferior or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I took it as an opportunity to, I was like, perfect. I can't yeah. wait the next three days. I'm going to put them in their spot and I'm going to show them how great occupational therapists are. They're going to leave this course thinking, holy shit, I didn't know OTs could be so good at pelvic health. And I'll never forget that. Yes. Either. And Preach it wasn't it. something where I was like, <laughs> oh gosh, like I'm an OT and a PT world, like, and I make me yeah. feel bad or I feel some type of way about it. I never really looked at it that way. I looked at it as an opportunity to just show. And that's how I advocate for our profession. Yeah. I think that's my my take on it is not necessarily like sounding the horn every time somebody says pelvic PT um, or OTs aren't included, which is fine if that's your approach. But my approach is if you want us to speak at conferences or if you want people to say pelvic floor therapy, just be so goddamn good at yes. pelvic floor OT that you're invited or that you, people are like, oh man, no, that OT does it. So like, you know, I don't want her to see this and think that I'm just talking about PT, you know, just be so yeah. good that people can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. And thankfully, I, you know, a lot more OTs are kind of joining the ranks and it just keeps progressing. Um, but the landscape definitely has changed. And I can, it really was hard in the beginning, you know, to see that or have, you know, when you have scripts involved every day, we had to yes. send that scripts that said physical therapy. And I was like, I'm an occupational therapist, send it yeah. back. I can't see this person under this script. And I would have doctors that tell me like, well, OTs can't do this. So like, oh we don't my care gosh. if you pretending to do pelvic floor PT, like you're not a PT. We can't do pelvic oh. floor PT. And I'm like, it's not called pelvic floor PT. It's called pelvic floor therapy. And I am one of the therapists who could treat this. That's so, frustrating. I mean, yeah, it was frustrating, but it has changed. Good. And it was never something that I held against physical therapists at sure. all. Um, I just think there wasn't enough awareness that yeah. OTs were doing it and that they were doing it well from that, you know, from all different perspectives. Um, so thankfully times are changing and I was, I'm glad to, you know, hopefully be a part of that change and kind of, you know, one of the, one of the earlier OTs kind of in this, in this space. Yeah. That's awesome. Gosh, that's just so good Paige. I love it. I want you to jump back into, I guess, to talking about how your psychology background and how then that, you know, you're, we're, that's, that's a big place where your foundation is. And then talking about how that, that leads a lot of your decision making and clinical decision making. Jump into what you have learned about that, what we can learn about that, what that looks like to anyone, you know, listening. Um, any, you're, you're definitely a leader in that area in our field, I feel like. And so I want to just hear the, the perspective and the newness too, that maybe you're learning about or want to share. Sure. Yeah. I think that for me, psycho psychological interventions were always a big part of 
treated in public health because it's very rare that you're going to find somebody, especially these complex, anything that includes pain, persistent symptoms, persistent pain, any type of medical trauma, sexual, I mean, like we need to be intervening from a psychological perspective. It's always been a huge piece of how I treat public floor patients. And I think that it was eye-opening to me as I got further into my career and, you know, I'd have patients come from other pelvic floor therapists or just, you know, talking with other pelvic floor therapists, how little people intervene with psychology and kind of like when we think about mind-body therapy and we're thinking about holistic, you know, top-down approach, so much of it gets deduced to diaphragmatic breathing and just like calming down their nervous system, which is a great thing to implement for sure. But I think that downtraining the nervous system has just done like a checkbox for pelvic floor therapists now as like, I am treating the whole person. I am downtraining their nervous system. And that's not bad at all, but it really should be one piece of how you're actually treating from a mind-body perspective because those complex chronic pain. There's a subset of these like really complicated pelvic floor patients that need multiple types of psychological intervention to actually treat from a mind-body perspective. And it doesn't have to be like you have to go to school to be, you know, a psychologist and have a psychology degree. Like as ETs and OTs, we are all 100% equipped to intervene in that space. And we should be. I think that a lot of it is just how do you apply it and how do you integrate it? And when do you integrate it? Because I think for those certain patients, um, it does take a little bit of a dance and you have to be able to apply it to everybody who's sitting in front of you. And historically, some of like this, you know, people who are out there doing like psychology interventions and stuff come off a little bit woo woo, which is not, Mm -hmm. again, not a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's the wrong perspective at all. I just think that if you are trying to teach techniques to multiple different personalities, PTs, OTs, people who are heavy in orthopedics, people who are heavy in psychology, all of the people, you have to be able to make those psychological interventions not weird and not off-putting to certain Mm -hmm. people. And I think as well for patients, there's some patients, you know, who are going to pick up what you're putting down right from the get-go with that perspective. Um, But then there's a lot of patients who are going to be turned off by it, you know, and kind of be like, what the hell? Like, I got pain in my hip. The hell is she talking about? Like, me being able to, like, see what story my body is telling me. And that's, (laughs) that's not bad. I'm not putting that down at all. I'm mostly just saying that, like, we need to all do a better job about really treating the Mm -hmm. mind-body from a a little bit wider perspective um, and realize like having multiple tools in your pocket for, you know, uh, mental health and psychological Mm -hmm. and nervous system and, you know, anxiety and stress and chronic pain um, to be able to pull those out for the right person Mm -hmm. in the right patient. So, I mean, I've always had psychology in my kind of like back pocket, um, but then I just have grown in using it in pelvic health and really picking out like almost like strategies and not protocols, but like, okay, with a vaginismus patient, these are the psychological interventions I'm implementing. And this is the time that I'm doing it before I do the musculoskeletal stuff. 
um, or with a chronic pain patient or with constipation. I think that is a huge mm-hmm. missed mind body condition that um, can be in a way very similar to vaginismus, you know, a mm-hmm. like painful insertion can cause a spasming of the muscle. Well, painful bowel movements, if it's traumatic, when you're having a bowel movement, you're so stressed out and you're so anxious about it and you are, your heart rates up and your respiratory rates up and your breathing is shallow. Well, guess what? The muscles mm-hmm. are going to clench instinctively. So I think that they're very similar in a way, um, but there's just certain diagnoses that over time, I just feel like I've really gotten a good handle on like what we can, what and how we can intervene from a mind and body perspective. You know, I don't believe Absolutely. that it's just like, you don't need to be releasing muscle, you know, tension in muscles. You don't need to be doing exercises. You don't need to be looking at their postural and orthopedic components. So you just need to treat from, you know, that mind perspective. Like, I think that's limiting. And I don't think mm-hmm. that that, for me, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think I could treat somebody completely virtually and just do, you know, like psychological interventions for their complex pelvic floor or pain condition. So I think that there are so many true mind and body conditions in pelvic health that deserve so much more than just down training and diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah, Paige, I think that um, what you were just talking about is so important for everybody to hear. And again, kind of validates, you know, I know how a lot of us treat in our clinics is how you, if you are leaving out one of those pieces, you're missing a huge piece of what could be contributing. And I think just having people that might be listening that have said, well, I tried pelvic floor therapy and it didn't work. And taking kind of inventory on, well, what did that look like? Because it could be that maybe whatever interventions you received, that was just completely missed. But moving forward with that, we talked about, you know, down training and breathing and all that kind of thing. Um, What are some approaches that you use outside of that that you feel like are helpful? Yeah. And I mean, you're exactly right. Like there's so many people who they maybe get out of pain short term and then the pain comes back. And that's a lot of like what I'll see um, or hear is that like it kind of worked and I got these exercises and maybe they did do diaphragmatic breathing and maybe they told them that stress was, you know, a part of what they were, why they're in pain and part of their symptoms. But I think that when we, for a certain subset of patients, for a lot of these patients who are complex and have chronic pain, calming down their nervous system can help them. And if that is enough to take the fear away from their symptoms, then it will probably stick for those people. But there are a certain group of people that have a different need. It's a deeper need if we're really going to get their pain to go away and stay away and not just move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so some different techniques that I like to use, I use graded exposure a lot in the realm of like activity, sometimes it's great exposure to like the idea of an activity. If there's a certain movement that they are so scared of that's going to cause them pain, or if penetration is painful, whatever activity, bowel movement, whatever it is that elicits a threat response for those patients, graded exposure can be a really great intervention. Um, coupled with, I like to do pain reprocessing therapy. Different techniques of pain processing therapy I've been doing for a long time, just because I learned some like somatic therapies many years ago. Um, but I 
And then I do calm down patients' nervous system. We try and get the sympathetic overdrive down and, you know, get them more to it like a, um, like homeostasis, a normal, like a, um, regulated nervous system. So I use a little bit of those along with just like different psychological, like strategies to help them to like see the good and not focus on the bad and, um, things like that. But I think that one that is super underutilized is actually treating a patient from a neuroplasticity standpoint, like we would a stroke patient. And that's sort of where that like pain reprocessing therapy comes in. Some of that somatic therapies, um, you are actually like how a stroke patient doesn't know that they have a left arm or a left side of their body. And so as therapists, we are trying to get it to realize that there is a left side of the body and get those neural pathways to start connect. Can't our brain is amazing. And so in the same way that we can rehab somebody by creating neural pathways, we also, as peak human beings, can create neural pathways on our own that are incorrect, that are not based in tissue damage, that are not based in actual like injury, um, and that can create pain and cr- can create negative symptoms purely out of a neuroplasticity standpoint. And so that subset of patients whose pain is not from any type of musculoskeletal or tissue damage or structural injury or anything like that, they're going to have to rewire those incorrect pain pathways. And that is hard. And that's why those super complex people are like, this doesn't make sense. Where is this coming from? How is it that their pain went from their hip, but is now up into their bladder? You know, it just keeps moving and moving and it doesn't follow a pattern and they kind of get better and then it kind of comes back and they're having just sort of like it's frustrating for the patient and it's frustrating for you as a therapist because that's that subgroup of patients where their symptoms are largely neuroplastic from incorrect pathways that have been created to try and protect them. But that doesn't mean that they aren't wrong. (laughs) They're just misinterpreted. So that is where kind of pain reprocessing therapy comes in and is really awesome tool. But again, like as PTs and OTs, we all understand neuroplasticity. And we all understand kind of like how those connections work. So you just have to retrain the brain and the body to make appropriate pathways or eliminate ones that are incorrect. And yeah. so that is a really big go-to that I implement with a lot of patients, whether there is a musculoskeletal piece that's involved. It doesn't mean that that doesn't need to be treated eventually. Um, and it doesn't mean that that's, but that also doesn't mean that that is a driver of their problems. And I think that's a hard truth for PTs and OTs to realize is that we can find musculoskeletal problems, imbalances on most people. I have some, like Mm -hmm. my deep hip rotators are like super weak. I do not use my glutes at all. I'm hypermobile (laughs) and have a lot of instability. You know, like I went in for pelvic floor therapy and I was having like, you know, all these bladder problems and all of these, like all this pain, 100% that would be deduced to that's why yeah you know musculoskeletal imbalances but i'm walking around and i don't have chronic pain and i don't have bladder and bowel problems and so we pick a lot of people off the side of the road we'll be able to find problems it's similar to like an mri for back pain they can usually find something but that doesn't mean that that's involved in their back pain and if that's the route you take it might derail you from really what is causing their back pain 
Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in pelvic health. You know, if somebody has chronic pelvic pain or they have bladder symptoms or they have IBS or constipation, we can find musculoskeletal problems with most of those people, but we have to be able to look bigger and see if that's actually really what is the driver of their symptoms or if that's just a like complete coincidence to what's going on with them because it can kind of derail you and can hurt the patient in some ways. If that becomes your focus and they already feel like they have all these problems with them that everybody's missed and now they found the problem and now they got to hyper-focus on their exercises and they're going to do them so intensely, it's going to fix their problem. And if they don't do their exercises every single day, am I doing the exercises right? You know, they just spiral. Uh (laughs) And it's like, we didn't even have to start there, you know, it just, oh so it's, gosh. I think it's important to be able to implement those things. But um, I think where I did it, you know, in the beginning too, I ran into roadblocks in, with those patients as well, because I'm like, oh my gosh, every, they're just so intense. And like, they just are so preoccupied with their symptoms and their pain and all of that stuff. So it took me a while to figure out how to kind of intervene with those types of patients. But once you can kind of separate yourself from what musculoskeletal imbalance they have for sh- a short term, mm-hmm. sometimes it can really unlock a lot for those those patients. Just stopping with the exercises and right. fixing their musculoskeletal problem and focusing on something else for a minute. Because uh, the, the reality is they've probably done all the stretches and the exercises by the time they've gotten to you anyhow. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> they didn't get much better. Or maybe they did and everything just came right back. So I'm not against any of that stuff. I just like to make sure that I'm implementing at the right time and for the right person. And sometimes it is all like orthopedic musculoskeletal stuff that I'm doing because for that person, that is what is needed. Um, But I tend to gravitate more towards those complex, chronic pelvic floor patients at this point in my career. And uh, for so many of them, this is like a huge piece. Yeah, I... I'm so glad that I was like, actually, I was just like, love listening. And I'm like taking notes myself, but I I I was like, oh yeah, that's something good to remember. It is fascinating because I can probably for all three of us, we have somebody come in and like our gut is telling us this is no amount of stretches. None of this kind of like muscular skeletal approach is going to fix this, but this patient walking in thinks that that's what it is. So finding that way to kind of get in there because you're right. Sometimes it does come across as we're trying to be woohoo or they want to like, what is this therapist talking about that, you know, what, they ha- what do they want me to do? I just want to go home. Just give me some exercises to do. I don't, that can be a challenge. And I, so I think, but I loved everything you said about how it is kind of like learning how to approach that kind of through the side door <laughs> and mm-hmm. to get our patients to trust us when our gut is saying, Listen, this it doesn't matter that your MRI showed a disc bulge at whatever. That's not the driver of your pain. And of course, we're not just going to say that. We're going to do an yeah. assessment. But yeah, I mean, I think that we pro- probably all agree that we see that a lot. And I, I think that this is just such a good... I'm sitting here thinking, okay, Paige, when you come out with a course here, I'm <laughs> ready to take it. <laughs> yes. And I mean, that is that is the plan. You know, it's... I. I do feel like once I kind of stepped back from just treating of so much and was just like head down, treating, treating, treating. And once I really started interacting with a lot more pelvic floor therapists, I realized that like a lot of them don't like treating those patients. 
they dread it. You know, they're yeah. like, oh shit, you know, this yeah. person coming in and they got bowel, bladder stuff. It's chronic. They've had these procedures. They are so fixated on their symptoms and what's wrong and the doctor missing this and they are stressed and ang- anxious and they have a history of trauma. I mean, like those patients for a lot of therapists, they're so overwhelmed. But mm-hmm. the reality is the more that pelvic health becomes popular, the mm-hmm. more of those patients that we're going to start getting. Yeah. And so, you know, I want people to feel confident when those people walk in the door. And that's who I feel so confident with at this point. And I feel like that helps me, my day-to-day, but it also then helps the patient. Yeah. And I, it just helps everybody all around. And as we grow in this field of pelvic floor therapy, um, we have so much we are capable of. Yes. And so much that we can intervene on if we can just... And it's I think pelvic health is a really complex Absolutely. Specialty. And you cannot just look at it from a protocol or a, you know, like, this is weak, this is tight, I'll release this, I'll strengthen that for most patients. For some people, you can, but you have, so that's why it's important to have that piece of it, but you got to have a lot of other pieces too. Yeah. Um, So I do want to help people feel more confident in that. And I feel like that is something that's missing in pelvic health right now is how to implement mind, body therapy and psychological interventions that's not just about the nervous system or down training or how to make that a piece of a, yeah. a whole bigger psychological intervention that you could be doing that was a little bit more maybe even effective for those subgroups of patients who are just yeah. so complex. Yeah, that's huge. And then I think in that too, there was some uh, something you just mentioned of within our profession I think that's why it's hard too for a pelvic floor therapist to just dabble. Like if you just have your toe in pelvic health, like you just, it's really hard to kind of embrace all of this. And also if you're in an environment that you are just like being burnt and you're just having to, we have to walk in the room with a level of our own nervous system you know, regularity and to be able to kind of be the stronger nervous system in the room. And so mm-hmm. if you're working in an environment that is not like it gets so messy, I just, you know, that's, I think, just another important thing to remember as providers, too, that in this field of pelvic health, it is so complex and it is kind of a disservice in a sense if you're just kind of like, Oh yeah, I kind of want to do this a couple of patients a week and yeah. And that's okay when you're starting out, but like don't dabble. Like you're going to have to just get in it. <laughs> it's going to be stressful for you, yeah. you know. It's going to be stressful. Left yeah. One position they had a PT come in and they were going to have them kind of see all of the different things, you know, and yeah. pelvic health. And I was just I felt bad for them, you know, yeah. because that's going to lead to them being super freaking stressed out um, yeah, and burnout and feeling yeah. like they don't know what where, what to do next and where to turn, especially if you don't have a mentor yeah. or someone you can turn to and ask these questions to. You know, I was so yeah. lucky for so many years to be able to text and I still do, you know, um, text the PT who trained me. But I think, yeah, it's you're setting your, yourself up for failure. It's super hard to just stab one. Yeah. And burnout. And yeah, I know. I just, I think that's at the end of the day. So I feel bad because I'm like, man, I, I don't, I can't imagine how you have to turn your brain from just all over the place and you're seeing everything. Yeah. And then when you have a particular subset of patients that like really need you to be a hundred percent there is, is hard. So 
Well, that, yeah, I think, gosh, it's just exciting. I love learning. This yeah. stuff is oh so, God, it's so cool. It's like, it's like bittersweet, you know, it's like, you I feel have, like I, I know so much to still learn, you know, I know, health, but it's good because it means you're passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to wrap things up here a little bit and we are going to do a little lightning round with you. You don't know these little questions that we have. They're just fun. Yeah. And then Roxy and then Roxy will kind of like finish us out here. But OK, these are just fun little things. So are you a text or talking gal? Oh, just the thought of talking made me like ill. <laughs> no, I And like, I don't even know if I'm like a text person, like either. I don't think I'm just like a communications person. (laughs) (laughs) I really struggle with talking to people on the phone. It gives me straight to like, I go into straight like sympathetic overloads. Like I hate it. I hate talking on the phone. If I could just like only communicate like in person, then I know. I just like, I like once I'm in person, like I'm great. Just all the other stuff just stresses me out. But if I had to pick, I'd say, I'm much more of a texter, texter, than a okay. caller. Good lord, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you a crushed ice or cubed ice? I'm a no ice. Oh, None. you just like it, like mm, okay. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't That's like ice. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think I love it, these questions because it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, no ice for me. No, thank you. Um, actually, in Italy, like it's oh, right. they don't serve like you with ice at all, yes. and I was like in heaven, um, because. But it's yeah, like kind of care. like you have to ask for it, you know. Yes. And in America, I have to like ask to don't give me ice. Yes. You know? No ice. So no ice. <laughs> no ice. Um, okay. Another easy one. Favorite day of the week. Hmm. That's a tricky one. Probably Saturday. Um, like from a logistics standpoint. Um, but currently in my current schedule, I like I like Fridays. Um, cause it's just me and my daughter on Fridays and, um, close to the weekend. It's kind of mm-hmm. chill. We've gotten through the hustle and bustle of the week. And we usually just have a relaxing pajama morning where I don't brush her oh. teeth. I don't change yeah. her. Just, she gets out of bed and we just hit the day and we just relax. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last one. And then we'll, Roxy will finish this out here. Favorite muscle. Mm. Mm. So if I had to pick a. Favorite muscle, pelvic health related, I would say, and I think this is a lot of people's because it's so diverse and it's so um, often the problem child is the obturator. Oh, yeah. I, just, I think that one's a fun one because it just has so much going on. I feel like I'm always talking about it. So, and it can be like so surprising, you know, it can know. be just like the hidden, hidden little problem child or it can be so obvious. Um, so I like the obturator, I would say. And then whole body. I've always weirdly liked the sternocleidomastoid muscle just because it was such <laughs> a it. mouthful. And I was just like, I sound like I know a lot of shit. Saying <laughs> so that. I remember that in PT school, the same thing. Yeah. Of like, man, that is, I can say that muscle and I can really show yeah. someone I'm smart. <laughs> yep. That always made me feel just like I was full of knowledge with that muscle. That's awesome. I love it. Well, thanks for doing that lightning round. Roxy, why don't you take it from here? And Well, yeah, we just want to thank you, Paige, for being here, for sharing the space yeah. with us, starting this conversation um, in our little space here of the OT, the OTPT blend. We are 100% for it. Um, and so thanks for bringing your perspective into that and, and having this chat with us. 
I want to just give you an opportunity to kind of sign off here and and share any little nugget that you want to. And also tell us what is up the pipe or what are you doing right now? What is Vital doing? What's Paige the Pelvic OT? How can people find you, follow you? You're a wealth of knowledge and we want to share the love. Yeah. Um, so I have, so I run my um, clinic page, Vital Pelvic Health. Um, but as we were growing and with therapists and everyone had, you know, different kind of treatment styles, it didn't feel as authentic to just be keep sharing kind of my perspective. So then I started my own clinical page, <laughs> lots of pages, <laughs> page the pelvic OT. Um, and that's where I share a little bit more of my personal clinical style, just kind of clinical pearls, more about OT. Um, I also share my love for all things like foot related. Um, you know, as we talk about like, you know, OTs and orthopedics, as an OT, I love me some foot function. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I'm big barefoot shoe person. I exclusively wear barefoot shoes. So that's where I put a lot of kind of that info out there. But my goal kind of up, kind of like thinking down into the future is to keep, you know, kind of harboring that community of like on my page, the pelvic OT page um, to kind of have other pelvic floor PTs and OTs join me there um, so I can learn from them. They can learn from me, but kind of gather that community of people who care more about, you know, that full body perspective, the mind body perspective and are willing, wanting to learn about it. Um, and then I have a, if that's something that interests you, things that I've been talking about are interesting to you. I have a newsletter. It's called the Pelvic Health Pros Newsletter that you can join. You can click on the link in my bio on my Instagram. And that's where I'm kind of giving some of those deeper clinical pearls right now. And then you'll be the first to also know when I start rolling out like master classes and courses and webinars because um, I would love to do that and I plan to do that. You know, have like a master class on vaginismus and you know how to approach it from a psychological and mind body standpoint or constipation or just you know how to do pain reprocessing therapy in public health. So that's all. That's all kind of down the pipeline for me. Um, while but you know it's we're just kind of like starting to like burn that fire right now. So that way in, you know, like the new year in the spring, I'll be ready to do a lot more of that. But for right now, just, you know, follow on Instagram, join my public health pro newsletter, because that's where I'll be kind of diving more into that stuff for you guys. And then you'd have kind of the, make sure you're actually knowing when I put out the webinars and stuff, if you're interested. Um, but DM me if you have any questions. Um, I am, I love, you know, chatting with other practitioners and learning from them as well and answering any questions. I just got something from um, another OT about actually vaginismus. I'm um, just kind of <laughs> running into a roadblock with, because it's a very you know severe case with trauma involved. Um, so we're just having some fun talking through different strategies. Um, so DM, DM me if you have a question. Awesome. I love that. Thank you yeah. so much, Paige. This has yeah. been rich. This has been a great space to to share with you. So thanks again yes. for that. Yes. And I am so happy to have chatted with you guys. I feel like I just don't want to work. I just want to talk to you guys. I know. All day. <laughs> I'm like, do we have to be done? No. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but this well, is cool. why we're just going to have like our own little retreat someday, guys. That's we'll right. We'll just all get to That's just right. meet up and relax and chat. And I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. good. All right. Well, hi. You have a great rest of your day. And um, everybody, we're going to keep this conversation going. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Pelvis Project Podcast. Help us continue the conversation by liking and sharing this episode with friends. And if you really want to do us a solid, leave us a review. If you'd like to follow us on social, check out the show notes for links. And remember, this week, take a deep breath and relax your pelvic floor.